Welcome to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to Kathleen Powell, Curator of St. Catharines Museum and Supervisor of Historical Services for the City of St. Catharines. Adrian Petrie, Visitor Services Coordinator at the St. Catharines Museum. And Sarah Nixon, Public Programmer here at the museum. We're recording today's podcast at the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center, which we acknowledge is on the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe peoples and adjacent to the territory of the Six Nations of the Grand River. History is definitely alive. For those whom would argue with this note, I would say open your eyes and ears. Protests, some turned violent, most recently in Charlottesville, and in many other places across Canada and the United States, are drawing mainstream attention to the perilous presence of former colonial masters and slave-owning generals in places of honor and respect, seated, or standing, atop a pedestal in the center of town. In today's podcast, we're going to ask some questions, and we might be brave enough to offer some thoughts on resolution. Certainly no one at this table feels we have the authority to tell any group or individual how and what to feel And so we won't say that any of our words are the right words, just simply opinions and suggestions for resolution. You'll likely hear some very Canadian-like compromises. Sarah and I studied these issues in our respective public history graduate courses, and we're lucky to welcome a former professor of Sarah's, Paul Litt, from Carleton University, and we welcome some scholarly expertise to the discussion. That interview will come a little bit later in the podcast. Our reason for producing this particular episode and focusing on this issue is that we feel museums and museum workers have an important responsibility to respond to historical and heritage issues. It is our responsibility to preserve and interpret these stories, whether marked by a monument or not. We think it's worth some discussion, though, if only because the interpretation of our stories is paramount to our identity. We are very excited to partner with Craft Arts Market, a lovely boutique store on St. Paul Street in downtown St. Catharines for a special limited offering of reproduced prints of fire insurance maps from the museum's collection. 19th century fire insurance maps were highly specialized and very valuable to fire insurance underwriters for understanding the physical characteristics and occupancy type of a structure. Today, they are extremely valuable to historians for understanding the past makeup of the community. Their bright colors and meticulously drawn graphics have a special quality about them that branches the historical and the artistic that we just couldn't keep to ourselves. Prints will go on sale at the Craft Arts Market and our very own Merritt's Mercantile gift shop September 15th for a very limited run. Check out the prints on our blog, stcatharinesmuseumblog.com. Books and Brews is the museum's innovative book club, pairing Canadian fiction with local brews and new perspectives of museum stories and artifacts. Our third series of Books and Brews, coming up this fall, will feature stories from Francophone, Indigenous, and female authors to challenge our understanding of Confederation. Don't miss the coolest book club you'll ever be a part of. For more information and to register, please visit our website, stcatharinesmuseum.ca, or contact the museum at 905 984 
so to speak more on the monuments conversation that we're having here, I've invited a former professor of mine at Carleton University, Dr. Paul Litt, who teaches in the history department as well as the School of Indigenous and Canadian Studies. And I had him in my intro to public history class when I was in grad school there in 2013. And he, one of the first things he did was take us on a field trip to downtown Ottawa where we studied the monuments there. So when we were doing this podcast, I reached out to Paul and asked him to speak a little bit more about monuments and how they relate to Canadian history and our memory of that history. So I will uh, start off our conversation. Oh, and I should mention that this interview was recorded on Skype, and it might be hard to hear in a couple spots, so definitely turn up the volume if you're having trouble. You don't want to miss any of this conversation. Thanks. Something I was hoping that you could touch on in regards to what's happening now, like we see um, like the teachers union, union just came out with this idea to take Sir John A. Macdonald's names off of public school buildings and we see what's happening in Charlottesville so I was just hoping that you could maybe share what your reactions to these are and what your thoughts are on something like that one of the fundamental insights of historiography is that interpretations of the past change with changing times Mm -hmm. so the way to use the term historiography is an elaborate uh, and opaque reference so let's say the way history is written changes or the way the past is perceived changes according to whatever the contemporary concerns and values are of mm-hmm. a particular era mm-hmm. and in, uh, in all of these cases where former commemorations are, are erased toppled or reversed somehow you have uh, that dynamic in play where a new regime comes into, into uh, power it might be a new regime that's as the government or uh, some new kind of political force, but it's also the case of regimes of uh, values changing. And uh, in the case of McDonald, you know, you had somebody who was commemorated in one era as a nation builder when you had uh, the criteria for commemoration being uh, Canadian nationalism, really, mm-hmm. seeing him as the great founder, what the leading father of confederation and thereby an appropriate symbol to celebrate the origins of Canada mm-hmm. and uh, to celebrate that and uh, then with the passing of time we've moved out of that kind of um, nationalist celebration phase and into a new era in which the dominant concerns are ones of um, you know, human rights and the way certain identities are privileged based on you know, ethnicity or mm-hmm. sex or sexual orientation you know the long laundry list and in this new era of course uh, indigenous rights and the oppression of indigenous peoples in the past has become a dominant public policy concern so if you look at McDonald through the lens of this uh, contemporary era which has new values and new preoccupations what comes to the fore and this is also uh, the type of information that is developed through new research that's inspired by asking new questions what comes to the fore are in the context of indigenous rights his role in 
founding the residential school system, for instance, uh, in being an architect of the Indian Act, and also uh, his treatment of indigenous people on the prairies when he was trying to push through the transcontinental railway and open the way for white settlement by pretty uh, strong-arm tactics designed to force indigenous peoples onto reserves mm -hmm. and out of the way of settlement, out of the way of the, uh, the railway. And mm -hmm. uh, so those are the three big indictments against MacDonald. And the, the implication of any kind of commemoration is that it's celebratory, that MacDonald's being held up as a hero for us to emulate. Mm -hmm. And so the counter case against memorializing MacDonald's in any way, whether it's a statue or the naming of a public institution, is that in doing so, you're embodying all of the uh, nasty and regrettable <laughs> practices that uh, were used to form the state of Canada to achieve transcontinental dominion. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. so, whereas on the one hand, McDonald's celebrated for his role in finessing this improbable nation into being, on the other hand, eggs he cracked to make that omelette are uh, the focus of attention. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful historical controversy, really. And I think it's, you know, from the historian's point of view, from my narrow self-interest as someone who thinks the past is valuable, I think it's great that we're discussing these questions. And it's also a, a great uh, example of how history matters, because what we're really talking about is, you know, contemporary power politics. Mm -hmm. uh, and you go to the past to find support for your position to uh, make the case for it being the right way to uh, interpret the nature of the community in which you live. A national community or other communities is the same, but in this case it's the National Community of Canada. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's why I think it's kind of a fascinating uh, case study of uh, challenged commemoration being played out. Mm -hmm. Now, I do have, you know, I don't have any, um, I have total sympathy for the indigenous case in, in this uh, example of commemoration being challenged, uh, but I do question whether this is the right uh, tactic to take in mm -hmm. terms of uh, promoting indigenous rights and a consciousness of uh, the indigenous experience in Canada's past, because my worry is always as an historian is that we're a society that doesn't think enough about the past and where we came from and how it's formed us today. Mm -hmm. And so to take McDonald's name off of schools or to, you know, topple his statues or to erase him from memory, I think would just leave people less conscious of <laughs> the mm -hmm. uh, treatment of indigenous peoples in the past. Right. So it'd be better in my mind to, you know, McDonald there, but complicated the understanding of McDonald as a nation builder, and it had these um, aspects of him being a scoundrel as a rogue, as well as being, you know, a heroic nation builder. Mm -hmm. um, and if that kind of approach to it could uh, keep the controversy alive, keep the discussion alive, keep the questions being asked about the nature of our community, mm -hmm. where it comes from, and how it came to be. Uh, I think that would be all to the good. So I would be in favor of something.
something like complicating it by renaming some of those schools, you know, the Johnny McDonald and Big Bear yeah. elementary school or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you. I feel like um, at least we're, like they become talking points. It feels like now having these monuments, we're at a point where now we're, we're able to have these difficult conversations by still having a monument there. So maybe if we change what we're doing with those monuments or with those school names, instead of commemorating and celebrating, maybe we use them to, like you said, to complicate and kind of expose that problematic history around that. My other question, though, is if we do take down the monument or change the name, it's not like we erase that history completely, right? So, but we do, I guess from like the whole idea of public memory, it is kind of, if we do take down the monument, slowly that public memory seems to fade at least, right? Is that is that what the concern is with erasing or taking down those monuments and changing those names? Yeah, I, I think that that was really my paramount concern is that we're a, a society that has uh, historical amnesia. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's worse than having, you know, problematic uh, commemorations. At least the problematic commemorations give you a basis for right. uh, entering into discussions about the past and how it's formed us in the present. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that uh, beyond that, it would be wonderful if we could use these commemorations to spark controversy because people too often think of history as the kind of dull recital of facts and dates and celebration mm-hmm. of uh, heroes like McDonald. Mm-hmm. And it's, of course, not that. It's very complex and it's morally ambiguous. And that's where the fascination of it lies. Totally. And so if you can get beyond that kind of uh, general indifference to history mm-hmm. and, uh, and unlock some of its richness and the questions that it raises for us in the present day, Another yeah. point is that, you know, in terms of, uh, I, I found it interesting that uh, Chief Justice Murray Sinclair, that he doesn't think that it would be productive to mm-hmm. remove the Johnny McDonald name from elementary schools. Mm-hmm. That is not in the spirit of reconciliation. That's mm-hmm. a, almost like a provocation <laughs> to people. And uh, mm-hmm. are there not better ways of uh, you know, moving the indigenous uh, agenda forward mm-hmm. than that sort of approach. Highly symbolic, mm-hmm. but uh, at the end of the day, will symbolism bring uh, potable water to remote indigenous communities or improve their uh, suicide rates or mm-hmm. deal with other social issues that mm-hmm. seem to be uh, plaguing them intergenerationally? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, um, I listened to Justice Sinclair give an interview last week on CBC, and he speaking to that idea of productivity, I think he was also mentioning about how reconciliation is about finding balance, right? And so, yeah. like like you're saying, if you're taking off the symbolic name, is that adding to balancing the histories? And his suggestion was um, to maybe, you know, name a couple schools after Indigenous figures, or, sure. you know, yeah. and maybe finding balance that way. It's not about erasing but again, that idea that I like that point about being productive and what what's the pr- the productive way to move past this and move forward and being constructive instead of treating it like uh, what a zero sum game in which if I can er- erase your uh, communal symbol, mm-hmm. it's a it's a point on my 
side. <laughs> yeah. There'll be retaliation and it becomes a tit-for-tat sort of thing. I don't know. But it's amazing the power that this um, suggestion has had in terms of provoking public mm-hmm. debate mm-hmm. and, you know, by extension, historical consciousness, which is what I, my professional and <laughs> yeah. uh, interest is in. So yeah. uh, I, I'm all in favor of uh, the resolution for what it's done in mm-hmm. terms of making Canadians think about these issues. Totally, totally. Just It's also, you know, in simplest terms, when I was talking earlier about there being two, or being different eras, and how different, um, from the different perspectives of different eras, the past looks very different because of the questions that are asked about it. Uh, in the simplest terms, what we've had are two long-term uh, trends that are at odds with each other. The first was, you know, from at least Confederation onwards to build a nation, and uh, that was an obsession uh, of a lot of the, uh, well, not just the politicians, but a lot of the um, cultural nationalists who were influential in the in, in Canada throughout the late 19th, early 20th century. Mm-hmm. And in a way, um, you could see their project as being one of decolonization. You know, they wanted Canada to be independent of Britain. They wanted Canada to remain independent of the United States. And so they're, they're thinking along the same terms of, um, you know, their right to have a Canadian identity, which is the basis of an independent community. Mm-hmm. But after the uh, Second World War, perceptions changed because people like McDonald were no longer just heroic uh, nation builders. They were suddenly, you know, white European males with power who Mm -hmm. used that power to promote their own interests and their own agenda. And at the exclusion of, you know, a lot of other Canadians (laughs) of different ethnocultural backgrounds or different, uh, or, you know, women, for instance, Mm -hmm. and uh, not to mention, you know, the whole whole sexual orientation issue, and you could go down a long laundry list of uh, identity movements that have uh, proliferated Mm -hmm. since, um, now starting in the early post-war period, mostly getting a big boost through the 1960s, and then becoming uh, the basis for a new identity politics where discrimination on the basis of any of those identity characteristics is um, the, the major concern. So it's easy to see in that shift from you know the nation-building uh, era to an era which is concerned with critiquing the nation as being exclusionary mm-hmm. and a colonizing project on its own, or in its own right, um, that the heroes of the first era would suddenly become the scoundrels of the next. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. On the other hand, you know, he was in his day when the big issue, the big political issue in his uh, his world would have been French-English relations. Right. And how to bring together Upper Canada and Lower Canada, French Canada, English Canada. And, uh, you know, that's what he achieved with Confederation was a lasting uh, bicultural In his day, he was seen as a very tolerant uh, and progressive figure because he made sure that French Canadian interests were accommodated within the new political. 
political structure of Confederation. And so, you know, they weren't even thinking about all of those other identities that we've enumerated, let alone indigenous peoples. Um, but in terms of the major agenda item of the times, he was, you know, from a contemporary standpoint, on the right side of the issue. Right. Right. That's why these things are complex. Mm-hmm. And the fact, yeah, yeah. So, and, and some people say, oh, that's just because he wanted to make sure that the Conservatives elected some MPs in British Columbia, right. where there was virulent anti-Chinese uh, racial, mm-hmm. racist sentiment. Um, mm-hmm. Another interesting point, though, is that, you know, to the extent that MacDonald was an architect of Confederation, of and of many of these institutions which have gone on to oppress indigenous peoples shows you the power of one era's beliefs to shape institutions which perpetuate the uh, the biases of that previous era mm-hmm. and sort of can function autonomously through times relatively impervious to whatever more progressive uh, views are emerging and changing social values. Mm-hmm. It's really astounding to think of how long the residential school system was in place because it went right into the 1990s. And that shift from, you know, the nation-building obsession to a more conscious, more, more consciousness of human rights occurred in the immediate post-war period. So it went on, it went on for another 40 years or more. Right? Yeah. My other thing that I've been reading a bit about... Um, using our present values and present belief systems to look at the past, right? But I yeah. think, I don't, I don't know if you have anything well, well, the, more. The problem, I mean, to give the, um, the people who want McDonald's name taken off of schools some credit, it, it's, it is present in people's daily lives. You know, so this goes back to that problem that we were discussing earlier of how do you complicate things? People just sort of look at the, uh, the name or the commemoration superficially and assume that it's, you know, celebratory and confirming the virtue of whatever the topic is that's being commemorated. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what they're saying is that, yeah, people just in day-to-day lives, they see McDonald and they assume that that's a good thing. And yet McDonald stood before all of these um, outrages in the past. Right. And uh, that they are, in fact, in a sense just by perpetuating that naming or allowing that naming to continue on, condoning the uh, acts of McDonald mm-hmm. as you know, a constituent of what it means to be Canadian. I want to thank Dr. Paul Litt very much for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to a former student and the rest of the uh, podcast team here and to shed light on this really important topic. And another heads up, if you had to turn up your volume to listen to my conversation with Paul, you can now turn it back down. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Petition calls for removal of John A. McDonald's statue in Regina. Posted August 28th, 2017. 
A Regina group launched a petition for the removal of a statue of Canada's first Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, at Victoria Park on Monday. Organized by Colonialism No More and the Saskatchewan Coalition Against Racism, the rally called for the removal of the statue over Macdonald's involvement in colonialism and the residential school system. The petition comes after the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario kicked off a national debate when it passed a motion calling on school districts to examine and rename schools and buildings named after Sir John A. Macdonald. We, the undersigned, hereby petition the Council of the City of Regina as part of the process of reconciliation to authorize and arrange for the removal of the statue of John A. Macdonald from Victoria Park, reads the petition and arrange for it either to be stored out of public view or to be placed in a museum where it can be used to educate the public about the history it embodies. Heather Bear, Vice Chief with the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations, said last week she supported the Ontario Teacher Group's motion. But Premier Brad Wall called it a slippery slope that threatens the preservation of all our history. In a Facebook note, Wall acknowledged McDonald used the word savages to describe Indigenous peoples, but also listed some of McDonald's accomplishments, such as completing the railways across Canada and the establishment of the Northwest Mounted Police. The petition will be delivered to Regina Mayor Michael Fouguer, as Tuesday afternoon the petition had 265 signatures. There are plenty of other examples of this kind of petition and protest. Earlier last year, a successful petition had the name Cornwallis removed from a street in Nova Scotia. Langevin Block, part of Parliament Hill, was renamed the Prime Minister's Office and Privy Council Office. And the Ontario Teachers Federation just voted recently to encourage the government to remove Johnny McDonald's name from public schools in Ontario. What's up? What's going on here? Why are representatives of our colonial past under attack? I think it's interesting that all these things have come together all at the same time. Um, although I don't think that this is a, a new thing. I think that uh, representations of a past that is not really supported uh, as a truthful past anymore uh, have been happening for years now. And I think it it's interesting that actions in the United States in Charlottesville have impacted how we're starting to look at uh, colonial memorials across the country. Uh, it almost feels like all of a sudden, although it isn't really all of a sudden, but it's definitely brought it into the more uh, mainstream media. I think there have been grassroots movements all across the country uh, at different times. The um, uh, there's been a grassroots movement to remove Cornwallis's statue uh, in Halifax for months and months now. It's, this isn't a brand new movement. So. And that protest almost turned violent. In fact, those Navy uh, sailors got in trouble for some of the things that they were saying about protesters. That was that same, uh, that would have been what, July, um, June, July. Yeah. Um, so it didn't turn violent, but it had the potential to, of course. I don't think it's new, but I think it's really interesting and it brings up a really interesting discussion about uh, what we choose to memorialize in a very public way through monuments, plaques, um, statues, all kinds of different things. And uh, so I think it's a really interesting discussion for uh, those of us who do public history to, uh, to talk about today. So I think with everything that's been going on, in Charlottesville in the States and in Canada, I think it's really important to be having these conversations and I think they are opening up conversations for why we put up monuments and why they stay there. What And if 
And if we do take them down, because I think, you know, there is a, a larger history here of, you know, whole societies putting up monuments and taking them down, right? You know, we've seen with um, communist countries and what they do with their monuments after communism is over. And uh, so I think this isn't a new thing that's happening, but I think it's a really important conversation to be having here in Canada where we kind of have a tendency to ignore some of our problematic pasts. (laughs) Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that um, uh, while the uh, issue of uh, the way Indigenous people have been treated in Canadian history has been around for a long time and people have known about it for a long time. Uh, the more recent efforts at reconciliation are really bringing a lot of this to the forefront as well and making people to re- really think about um, the, the privilege that we give to one history over another. If we're being truthful with ourselves, though, I think the the real truthful answer as to why people would put up a monument sort of answers some of the questions about um, why they're coming down today or why people would like to have them come down today. And that's hero worship and influencing how people think about history. Because there's this thing about monuments in that they seem to be the... You put a monument up and you've crossed off your historical figure checklist, So we put up a monument to Cornwallis in Town Square and we're good to go. That's history done, right? We don't need to tell that story anymore because we got a statue to him. We spent all this money. We're good to go. The happy reason, though, to put up the statue is, look, we have history and we need a we need some sort of physical marker for um, citizens to remember and visitors to recognize that something important and an important guy was here. Sort of put everybody on the map. I think it's interesting that you say that, that we feel like we need to um, to have this physical representation of our heritage. Do we really need that? I think oh. that personally, I feel like if we taught history in school a little bit better, yeah. we wouldn't actually need to have a statue to yeah. someone that is has so obviously done something good or bad in our history. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm right with you. So. I'm just saying one of the one of the reasons for putting up for a monument sure. would be to yeah. check that off, right? Because school kids walking by Merritt's statue on their way to school downtown would totally recognize his contribution uh, inherently without even reading the plaque to building the city that they live in. No, they need to be educated, of course. Um, but there's some sort of understanding that, um, or feeling, I guess, that if you put a statue up, you're good to go. And I don't think that's the case obviously. Um, but that, that's, I think one of the reasons why is that why monuments are, are troublesome is because they're put up in a troublesome way in the first place. They're not put up with the right intentions. They're put up with the intention of either whitewashing history or celebrating colonialism. Like, let's honestly be truthful about it. It's celebrating colonialism and racism. We don't really have to be sensitive to it. It's, that's what it is. And Mm. so putting it up, in the first place is troublesome. That's why it's troublesome now. It's hard to defend that. It's hard to defend Robert E. Lee, who was a slave owner and total racist and wished for the demise of people and for the control of people and the direction of a country that would have been awful. How do you defend that? Yeah, I think when you put up a, a monument, you're kind of solidifying the narrative of that history, right? That's the narrative that we're going with. We put up these monuments and then we make them into heroes and that's the narrative that we go with. I think it's important now to kind of reframe the conversations and to talk about how 
yeah, John A. McDonald was our first prime minister, but he did a lot of really bad things too. And I think we need to reframe the narratives that we're using around the monuments. And the, in, the intention with which monuments are built. Brock's Monument in Queenston is probably the biggest monument I've seen in Canada. Certainly the tallest. Personally, I, I don't know if firsthand is what I'm saying. I'm sure there may be another one that's bigger, but it's massive. Tecumseh's Monument in Thamesville is tiny. Um, they're still sort of, I think they're still sort of planning an interpretive center to go around the original monument. Um, but what does that tell people about those two characters? Obviously that Brock has way more value than Tecumseh because mm-hmm. his monument is like the size of this room, which is small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and Brock's monument is the biggest thing in Niagara, let's say. What does that say? Exactly. The inherent value there is like obviously Tecumseh's worth a lot less when in reality he had a huge, huge, maybe even arguably bigger impact on the War of 1812 and the, his confederacy of indigenous peoples in North America than Brock ever would I have. I think it comes down to the uh, this whole intentionality of monuments in general is really – it's not so much about the monument itself as the – why was the monument put up and for what audience was it meant for and who were the – the champions behind putting it up because I almost feel like the monument itself is less less contentious than the reason for why the monument was put up in the first place sometimes mm-hmm. so let's let's explore the idea of intentionality a little bit uh, further here uh, when we were talking about doing this podcast and I was thinking a little bit on on the podcast and about local monuments and how things have evolved over their age it made me think about try to put myself in the place of the people that put up the monuments in the first place. So for example, a monument um, that currently sits on the, uh, the front lawn at our city hall is private Watson's memorial uh, to a soldier who died in the Northwest rebellion. And my, you know, I'm just making this off the top of my head that my imagination is that private Watson's family or friends felt that it was important to memorialize our local soldier who died in this conflict. Uh, and the idea was to uh, to put up a monument to this, this person, almost like a gravestone, you know, like just a big monument to recognize him, but not necessarily to... Um, to make it uh, a big monument to the Northwest Rebellion itself and its mission and its uh, why the Northwest Rebellion even happened. But over the years, it's kind of evolved to that. I would think most people in St. Catharines who walk past that memorial have no idea that it re- represents a memorial to uh, a conflict that uh, would definitely not be one that we would want to be celebrating. Today. Not that we would want to celebrate the Boer War, but I thought it was a monument to the Boer War just because it's a similar. Um, he's his clothing in, on, in the statue is a similar type of uh, late nineteenth century Canadian military. I don't want to say uniform, but clothing. For sure. Um, so that's where I thought it was going from. So it goes down to what. How has an in- the intention of a monument evolved over the centuries? Like, how do things change over the course of 100 years, 150 years? Uh, what was, you know, a monument to one guy has become uh, this symbol of something completely different. And how does that happen? It's interesting, too, because if the intention was to remember, then that's one thing, right? Or, or memorialize this particular soldier um, in going. Um 
But if the intention was to educate at all, mm-hmm. it obviously didn't work. Even mm-hmm. I didn't recognize what it was actually memorializing or marking at least. And so inherently you can't assume that a statue, putting a statue up of somebody and putting their name on it will educate. Because mm-hmm. some of the arguments of, of, against tearing down statues or against re- removing McDonald's name from schools is about education. But you can't just inherently assume that the presence of those things in an honorific way will automatically educate people. And, that, and Watson's memorial is a really good example of that. Like, we have to keep Robert E. Lee because otherwise we won't know anything about Robert E. Lee. Right. Good or bad. Good or bad. What? Come on. He's in every textbook ever. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how? just because his statue comes down, his memory is going to be all of a sudden wiped from our memory? What? Fallen workers... Memorial is memorializing the guys. It's not really accusatory of to the government of um, workplace safety or anything like that. Um, but it is inherently an educational thing. All these guys died. Why did they die? No, I don't think it is at all. I and I don't think it's glorifying yeah. that conflict or war in any way at all. I think it just them. is what it is. Yeah. Why does it always seem easier, though, to put up a, a statue of... Some maybe in the past, I mean, maybe not today anymore, but it seems easier to put up a statue of a white prime minister than Harriet Tubman. Like it's taken years know. and fundraising, and it seems like it's a struggle to get a, a statue of someone like that up, and it's a struggle to get a monument together for the fallen workers. Cert- certainly, a, f- a, a huge amount of fundraising effort went into it. Maybe struggle is not the right word. Um, but then it seems like, look at these split, we've got a statue of some dead white guy. Mm-hmm. what's going on I, th- I was thinking about that memorial and um, other memorials and monuments to um, more of uh, just the average the average person versus a memorial like to a prime minister or a, a queen or king or right. a great general or something like that or bad general whatever we want to call it I was actually thinking about that, and how do those? How are those two things different? And you know, nobody's talking about wanting to remove memorials to the average person or to someone who was like an average person who did amazing things. They're really talking about removing memorials to um, almost like yeah, statues to uh, almost like iconic figures who represent a certain thing like colonialism or um, oppression or something like that and like the ruler of a country or um, a prime minister general might represent that more than in the average person because I don't think anybody would argue that there should be a memorial to people who died in the workplace or that there should be a memorial to um, to uh, uh someone like Harriet Tubman who was you know a heroic individual who did something amazing so I think that we're talking about there's almost like two different types of things that we're talking about here yeah I think it goes back to power and privilege right that power that we try to memorialize in a statue and I think it's that power that we today are struggling with and want to challenge yeah it just goes back to their like the troublesome raising of the monument is the reason for its troublesomeness today Mm -hmm. but I don't know I don't think I I don't think I agree with the idea of taking down these statues I I think we need to use them to kind of reframe the narrative again I think I've already said that but I think if 
education is big. So if we put a plaque beside the statue that says, yes, this person was important, but, and it's always talking about those buts that open up the conversation and make people think because whether we have a statue or not, you know, um, we still have to talk about that problematic history because there's really no way to move forward otherwise. So I think in all this debate on whether or not we keep or tear down statues, I think we're also missing the point of how we're supposed to be talking about history and actually moving forward and being productive with um, mm-hmm. with that kind of stuff. I'm not really sure where I fall on the statue thing. I'm still thinking about it. I may not come to an answer at the end of this podcast, though I am way more on the fence than I used to be because I was sort of like, no, don't touch the statues, put up a plaque, of course. Mm-hmm. But I, I check myself all the time and I'm really having a hard time battling the entrenchment of my elementary and high school education that Johnny McDonald was, you know, the hero of Canada. Um, that's super entrenched. And every time I hear, you know, let's remove his name, I'm like, but, but, but. And then I check myself and then I'm, you know, constant. Like, I listen to the news mostly in the car. So I'm like constantly arguing with myself <laughs> while driving the streets of St. Catharines. Um, but speaking of um just a little bit more of a productive conversation one suggestion from murray sinclair who's an indigenous senator um was he was on um as it happens on cbc on tuesday and he was suggesting why you know the guise of a lot of this removal of johnny mcdonald's uh, their names or statues is in the name of reconciliation um, but he was saying that reconciliation isn't about surrender or forgiveness. It's about telling um, uh, uh, a balanced story about mutual respect. And so obviously, many people feel different ways, but that, you know, a balance of history isn't about a one sided story. Um, And why don't we be a little bit more productive? And instead of naming, uh, naming buildings after, you know, colonial masters, um, name them after indigenous peoples and indigenous heroes who deserve recognition, who haven't had recognition. Why don't we erect a statue to an indigenous person? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that sort of that sort of goes a little bit against about what we've been talking about intentionality um, and the reason why you would do that. Because does it really solve the educational component? Does it really say what you want to do? In the end, we need to be educated about these people and have a balanced education in history presented from a wide variety of sources not just from a statue. But at the same time, it does sort of suggest a more productive sort of, at least he was saying in the name of reconciliation, let's have a balanced approach to this argument rather than, you know, tear it down, erase it from history kind of thing. I agree. I think that uh, um, some of the issue is not necessarily the fact that the statue is there and that it exists. It's that... um, the whole history that surrounds it has been uh, so poorly understood and poorly known by most of the population that a, something, any effort to come towards reconciliation will make a difference. And whether that be renaming a building or whatever it is, a step has to be taken towards reconciliation. You know, the statue's there. It is what it, it was put up there for a reason. But now what do we do to take a step away from that and to to move forward in reconciliation? Because it's not going to happen unless people take a step 
Like it's got to be that first step. What's the first step? What's the next step? What's the next step? And what are those steps all going to be? I don't know that everybody's recommending we remove every single statue to colonialism in the country because that would pretty much be every statue that's out there. But at the same time, how are you going to recognize what were the impacts of colonialism in our country? And there needs to be something. It goes to show you that... Um, in this article that I read, er, read earlier, that in his Facebook note, Premier Brad Wall said that basically, you know, he also listed some accomplishments of McDonald's, such as completing the railways. Well, Pacific Scandal was remains one of the biggest scandals. So how does that? How is that an account? Like, sure, like completing the railways is an accomplishment, but look at look at the mess he made trying to do it. Right. Look at the mess he made trying to um, civilize indigenous peoples, or as in McDonald's word, savages by creating residential schools, mm-hmm. trying to wipe, culturally wipe, wipe out this race of people. Um, how even educated people can't see that bad things like residential schools and scandals and drunkenness outweigh accomplishments. It's a tough situation. There's just so many facets of um, people's character that where do you draw the line of what is the good and what is the bad Mm -hmm. that you're going to recognize, which to me makes it so difficult to even contemplate why you would put up a monument to a single person anymore. Because Mm -hmm. how can you, everyone has good and bad in them. And, you know, how are you going to reconcile one versus the other at some point in the past or some point in the, how are you going to reconcile one versus the other at some point in the future when someone says, yeah, but I just unearthed this document that said they called that person stupid or something like that. What are you going to do? Are you going to pull down everything or how do you reconcile it? But Kathy, who are we supposed to worship? What about our hero worship? (laughs) I have no one to associate my heritage identity to if we don't have statues. I have no physical representation of this heritage. What do I do? I don't know what to do with my... Patriotism, I, I'm just being facetious, everybody, by the way. Um, I also can't say that word, but uh, like, what am I supposed to do with my patriotic heritage hero worship? Well, I think that's the problem. If we're using statues as our uh, way of showing our patriotism, I think we need to start to rethink about what that, what it, what is that? And is there a better way for us to um, figure out what does it mean to be Canadian and what does it mean to celebrate being Canadian? Because Canadian is so so varied and so uh, there's so many layers to it that a statue to one single person is not if that's your way of doing it it's not the right way I don't think personally like why doesn't Joe Blow have a statue yeah. you mean yeah which is the great thing about the Fallen Workers Memorial mm-hmm. because it will start to recognize a less privileged history a history of you know average people who did things that we can all relate to they went to work every day and uh didn't make it out because their work was so dangerous and they'll be recognized for that uh, rather than just recognizing the uh the hoi polloi who get to make the speeches at the end oh so uh professor paul litt who will be in our interview in this podcast uh so he I did our introduction to public history course at Carleton and our during our um, during my MA and our first day we did a field trip to downtown Ottawa and we looked at all the monuments around the area and we kind of had a conversation about them and one of them 
was we went to Colonel Bai's statue. Oh, Colonel Bai. I grew up in Ottawa, so yeah. definitely love Colonel Bai. So Colonel Bai is a statue you're gonna, that over... You're going you're to slam him for me, aren't you? Yes. Overlooks the Rideau Canal because he was the father of the Rideau Canal. Can I just describe this statue just really quickly? It's really great bronze statue. Um, he's got a... See, I'm in love with this guy. Um, I also... Well, and the, the bigger connection here is that I studied the Rideau Canal and I studied, I studied canals. So mm-hmm. Merritt and Bai are the guys who are in all of my reading. So that's the thing. Um, not that I know... I totally acknowledge that some, they did some not so great things. Um, but he's got this super awesome bicorn hat on top of his head. And it's just a really... Good statue. Now, the whole thing, too, though, is that it was just recently put up within the last, I want to say, 10 years because he wasn't recognized and he didn't have a statue. My point about the Colonel Vice statue (laughs) is so it is on a hill and it overlooks the Reno Canal and it's big and it's beautiful and he is the father of the canal. And it's in his park, Colonel Vice Park. Yes, it's in his park. Behind the Chateau Laurier. It's a beautiful area. Yeah, it's wonderful. And then if you kind of go down the slope a bit and you really have to look and it's hidden and it's very small, is this teeny tiny little baby memorial that says, in memory of the Irish laborers who died building the canal. And why does Colonel By have this big, huge, beautiful one and the people... Over a thousand Irish laborers died building the canal get a teensy little plaque? Yes. That's the question, and that's and those are the narratives that we remember. So when you see those monuments, you say, wow, Colonel Bai, you are a very important person. Oh, it's too bad that these people died, but I don't even recognize that because it's so small. And that's the narrative, and that's a problem. And that's the narrative that people leave from that historic site. There's also a museum there, uh, the Bytown Museum. Yes. Yeah. Also named after Colonel Bai, because um, <laughs> Ottawa used to be Bytown, so that's why it's called the Bytown Museum. But... People leave that whole site, that whole historic site, the flight of eight locks at Parliament. They mm-hmm. leave that site with that narrative that by built the canal. And they leave, they often, not so much maybe anymore, but people would often leave here and leave St. Catharines thinking that Merritt built the canal by himself. Well, hold on just a moment. Mm-hmm. He, he did no digging. Um, one of the arguments that the teachers cited in their resolution to encourage the government to remove Johnny McDonald's name from schools was that teachers find it hard to explain why Johnny McDonald's name is on the school to students of indigenous heritage. Um, and that some students feel unsafe in a, in a, in a building that recognizes a person who is so damaging. Um, so I, with, there's a couple of things in there. If you if you have a hard time teaching history about Johnny McDonald and having a, a grown-up adult discussion about the good and the bad, even though there seems to be, every day seems to be more bad about Johnny McDonald coming out, then is teaching history really the place for you? Um, if you can't have those discussions with your students, then what's the point of even having a history class in the first place, regardless of whose name's, name is on the building? At the same time, I'm... I don't think they need to come off, but I think we could do a better job in the future of recognizing maybe local people who have made an impact or indigenous people who deserve recognition or 
like they used to, Kathy. I think that's I was going to steal go. this. Um, Kathy's going to suggest, which I kind of agree with, because um, it does actually have a little bit of a uh, vintagey flair, um, <laughs> and that is all the old schools back in the early days were named after their school section and just numbered. So school section number one, school section number two. Easy. You don't have to worry about any. Thing and it's clear but which I school can't you're assign in. Assign my school pride to a number. It's true. That is very difficult and uh, hard to create a mascot to school section number one. But uh, it also takes away the um, the distraction of why why a name. So, do we have a resolution on what we think about uh, memorials and? Uh, statues or is it I think it's still an ongoing debate and and discussion and it will be for some time we just maybe do a better job of or or thinking of what to name a school after whether it's a number or if it's a person or maybe an animal like I really like moose and moose are actually declining in Ontario so why can't we name like have a like I go to moose high school that's pretty great um Everyone's <laughs> just laughing. In terms of a statue, I don't know. And I'm going to give a Canadian answer, which is a compromise answer. Um, in that if it doesn't come down, put a plaque on it. If it comes down, put it in the museum and, you know, let professional historians and interpreters interpret the thing so that we can at least, you know, the resolution is education in the end anyway, right? We want people to understand the revised history. We want people to understand that, you know, a group of people was oppressed by this person. So let's not wipe it out and, you know, destroy it and throw it in the ocean. I think in the end, no matter what the resolution is to whether or not to keep Johnny McDonald statues or any early prime minister's statues, um, or anything like that, any kind of colonial um, symbol. I think no matter what happens with them, just the discussion that we're having and the discussions that are ha- being had around this whole issue, I think are a really great step forward in, in education and reconciliation just on its own. Not that we shouldn't continue the discussion and continue moving forward, but I think it's a great step for sure. I don't f- well, a good discussion. I don't feel any better, but I don't think that's the purpose of this podcast. So if you out there listeners are <laughs> feeling the same way I do and that like you're still not sure, that's okay. Don't worry. Yeah, it's hard because sometimes it's fun to have a selfie with uh, with the queen in the background. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's, uh, you know, she represents a certain colonial history. And so that's sad, too. Yeah. So you're right. It doesn't make me feel any better. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. For more information on some of the articles and blogs we've referenced throughout the podcast, visit the footnotes to this episode, which can be found on our blog, stcatherinesmuseumblog.com. This episode of Museum Chat Live was produced by Adrian Petrie, Sarah Nixon, and Kathleen Powell. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and the City of St. Catharines.